When you think about business competition, where are you focused? Your town, your state, across the country? You need to be concerned with competitors around the world. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, you'll hear about the mega trends in global business and how they affect your organization, as well as explore issues, solutions, and some amazing facts about business worldwide. Now, here is your host, Mahesh Joshi. Welcome to the Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, uh, we're going to talk about a very pertinent topic related to the current situation with the pandemic around us. And also before that, uh, the impact of globalization. What, what does it bring to the forefront? What is needed? Um, I'll call it the power of we. The globalization and pandemic has brought up the need for efficient teamwork amongst diverse global population to work in collaboration. There has never been a more important time for leaders to foster connections among people of diverse backgrounds. To thrive in the global marketplace, teams must learn to work across differences of age, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, and many other identity factors. It is the time to find ways to work together as we and find solution to the health and economic issues we are all facing today. Today, I have with me uh, Laura Kriska, an author and an expert on cross-cultural relations and building high-performance diverse teams. She's an expert on cross-cultural relations with more than 30 years experience bridging gaps in diverse workplaces. She has worked with Fortune 500 companies on four different continents, helping thousands of professionals build trust across us versus them. Differences based on nationality, ethnicity, race, religion, age, or any other factor of identity. Her we-building framework provides practical and actionable insights for creating a more inclusive and productive world. Born in Tokyo, raised in Ohio, and now residing in New York City, Laura has been navigating cultural gaps her whole life. She regularly speaks on the topic of inclusion and conducts bilingual training sessions around the globe. Considered an authority on cultural integration, she is a regular lecturer and a TEDx speaker. She was the first American woman to work in Honda Motor Company's Tokyo headquarters. That experience is the basis of her first book, The Accidental Office Lady. Her second book is another masterpiece. Her second book is The Business of We, which we are going to discuss today. Welcome, Laura. Hi, Mahesh. Thanks for having me. So, Laura, uh, I was very excited to read your book. Uh, I, I find it very timely, very intriguing, and very important. I, I won't call it only for the businesses, mm -hmm. because uh, I feel it is culturally very strong book, which mm -hmm. I would rather have everybody read it, because it changes your behavior about people around you, in your society where you live, in your family, in the business, or whatever field you're talking about. Mm. So this this power of we. 
So I will start in, in my my mindset in that is is there there was a massive amount of globalization in last uh, I would put this way two or three decades or maybe more than that and mm-hmm. the globalization especially when the computers came into play in uh, mm-hmm. late eighties and and nineteen nineties early uh, the technology connected us so earlier mm-hmm. we were traveling meeting people. Uh, doing business together, greeting, uh, uh, having dinners together. You could see facial reactions, how somebody is responding. And then suddenly the technology came into play and connected us more deeply. Mm-hmm. So, so the, I, I would say the whole globe became one community, you know. So that's mm-hmm. what I see as a part of we that, mm-hmm. you know, if you have to succeed in, in such an intensely connected world, Mm-hmm. It is very, very important for us today to understand the power of E. So I'll, I'll let you start with, you know, with, uh, you know, a little bit of explanation, explanation from your side in, in the concept you had in mind when you wrote the book, The Power mm-hmm. of E. Sure. Um, well, I, I think we can all see that there is an epidemic of us versus them divides in the world. Uh, it seems in every region of the world, we certainly see that in the United States of America in a way that I have not observed in my lifetime until now. So the idea for the book started in the workplace because every organization, as you well know, because you have worked uh, in many places, um, every organization has us versus them dynamics as it relates to the business mandate. So, for example, you know, the sales team versus the marketing team or the Chicago office versus the Houston office. There, there are always these types of dynamics. But when you, as you said, with the, the global, um, kind of explosion of business, the you know every business has international us versus them differences i mean it's everywhere so i got the idea for this book when i myself was working in japan you know i grew up um in the united states for the most part i was really interested in japan and when i started working in japan when i was just out of college i was 22 you know no experience but also really eager to you know, experience the world, I encountered difficulties, I encountered differences, and I wasn't prepared for that. Um, and that's something I wish uh, to share now with people that to say to them that culture gaps are everywhere. And it's not only when you get on a plane and take your passport and go to a different place. That's a kind of obvious example. And the kind that people uh, can see very easily compared to other culture gaps, but it was my own kind of suffering and seeing that when we bridge gaps, when we make the effort, amazing things can result. Um, so that's kind of the idea behind the business of we. I think that's amazing. And first of all, I admire you for taking that uh, step uh, to to step out and, and take such a humongous step to work in Japan and, and no doubt um, I, I can tell you you would have learned a lot. And second, yes, you're right. This us uh, versus them 
it's a phenomena which probably because of the competitiveness of the human mind <laughs> it could be it could be the reason which which is mm-hmm. which is causing it or it could be something else but mm-hmm. uh, it is uh, i i don't know because what it comes but it mm-hmm. definitely shows up it is very difficult to overcome mhm mhm difficult to overcome unless uh, people get guided yes you know, and it's often the behavior of the leaders in an organization you know i agree a little competition is is fine um some us versus them dynamic um can be lighthearted it doesn't have to disrupt business and relationships but it's really up to the leader in the organization you know in my book i talk about this there was an organization i worked with many years ago and they had um engineers and non-engineers uh-huh and the leader of the organization really uh thought that anybody that was an engineer was just so much better and he prioritized engineers he let them kind of make all the decisions um and there was this us versus them gap and i i i hope i'm remembering the story correctly but it it doesn't really matter what the gap is when a leader prioritizes a particular group even if that is you know based on their occupation or especially if it's based on some aspect of their identity there can be trouble now we do know that in organizations we should prioritize and um you know have differences in terms of people's access to information you know based on um their level of authority or their level of responsibility but that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about just defaulting to a kind of hierarchy of preferencing one group over another and this is what happened in the organization so rather than work together the people in his organization competed for his attention uh not based on you know facts and based on customer needs but just based on this one aspect of the employee identity the occupational identity so i think the behavior of leaders is critical in this conversation i think you you bring in a very valid point and that reminds me of uh, two of my jobs two different companies where i worked and mm-hmm. it's strange one of the companies where the product line was not as technical as compared mm. to the other one they would not respect anybody who's not an engineer and they would mm-hmm. like to hire only engineers for doing everything yeah. and i found that they were constrained in the expansion of business whereas mm-hmm. the other business which i had run before that was way way more technical mm. but the the senior executives some of them not but not all of them were absolutely non technical mm. they were like somebody had a background of music somebody mm. had something else and believe me they're so successful because they were le- mm-hmm. leading their teams so nicely they made yeah. the team feel like a team <laughs> you know mm-hmm. because they knew mm-hmm. the importance of people who yes. they need to do what and their eq level probably was much stronger and the mm-hmm. growth of that business was way more exponential than the business that i saw that which had mm-hmm. kind of taken pride that we hire one kind of people only so i definitely agree on the first hand experience i'm sharing with you 
Interesting. And I think it's sometimes hard to measure uh, how inclusive or how welcoming an organization is. And, and sometimes it gets overlooked because it's hard to measure. But there is, without a doubt, an impact on the bottom line when leaders are not promoting a we culture in the workplace. Yes. You know, the most successful story about the team which you picked up, the sports team, one team, one dream, how they got mm-hmm. united under it and won the title. You know, yeah. So it's the same thing. It happened in the United States. It happened to a soccer team in Germany, which yes. had very good individual players, but uh, they were not winning the championships. But yeah. but the moment beyond the individual skills of playing in different positions, mm-hmm. when the players got aligned in that sports team to winning together, yes. it was a game changer. Yes, uh, I. I- I, I agree. I, I think in the book, I, I quote one of the greatest basketball players of all time, um, Michael Jordan. And he there's a great documentary uh, called The Last Dance about his career and his season with the Bulls. Um, and, you know, he is a fantastic individual performer. Everybody knows this. And he, I think, took quite a bit of pride in his own skill set. But he says in the documentary that... Without teamwork, um, they they could not have won the championships that is that he really wanted. He wanted to do well as an individual, but he wanted those championships. And those championships are not awarded to individuals. You know, there are a few uh, ways in, in sports life and in life in general where individuals are awarded. But, you know, in organizations, in corporations across the globe, it's really groups of people. You know, we can achieve so much more in groups of people than any single person could ever achieve by themselves. That's very true. Laura, we'll take a short break. Very interesting discussion. And we'll continue after the break. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. And I have with me, Laura, an author. We are talking about power of we. 
So we are having very interesting discussions. Laura, thank you so much for such an enlightening uh, first segment. Now we are in our second segment. Let's continue our discussion on why it is so important to have power of we. As you talked about the documentary about uh, the most famous basketball player in the United States of America, actually famous world over, Michael Jordan, the documentary Last Dance, that what is the importance of team? And what is the importance of the team in his case is if you look at how many assists he got from somebody, he can't mm-hmm. go from the one end, from the competitor's end and run by himself. And if he did that, the rest of the whole team, knowing that he's not going to pass it to anybody else, would swarm him. Mm-hmm. You know, the game is over. And that one yes. simple thing shows how important the rest of the players are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and there's such uh, evidence uh, as we all are facing this global pandemic, it is absolutely clear that when we work together, we are able to limit the transmission of the coronavirus. And in places where people have taken a we approach, transmission of the virus has been much lower. So let me give you an example of that. Um, you know, I live in New York here in the United States. And the United States has had a very us versus them approach. Different states have been pitted against each other to fight for um, protective equipment, to get vaccines. There's been so much unnecessary competition so that when states in the spring and the summer were trying to get protective equipment, rather than operating as one unit, as one country, uh, negotiating with suppliers outside of America, different states were paying higher and higher prices to try to negotiate and get the protective equipment they needed for their for the people in their own state. And this was clearly not beneficial. Um, the coronavirus gives us a, a, a situation where it should be a clear us versus them, meaning humans on one side and virus on the other. This should be a tug of war. But in the United States, yeah, the, the tug of war is a, is a should be the simple and only way we talk about the virus. But, for example, the cultural war in America, masks where ver, masks wearers versus no mask wearers. That's ridiculous. Every research organization, every medical you know expert uh, tells us that wearing masks uh, is a good practice if you're trying to limit transmission. And, and because America has been so divided, because the leadership in America has not promoted a we approach, it is uh, caused devastation. You know, almost 400,000 lives have been lost. Uh, the economy has been trampled. It is unconscionable, um, the kind of uh, results that have occurred because of this us versus them approach. And when we see countries, uh, for example, Japan, you know, this is a country I spend a lot of time in Japan. Japan uh-huh. tends to be much more group oriented uh, and they have practices like wearing masks the, before the pandemic. So that helped them. But Japan has had fewer than 3000 deaths from the coronavirus 3,000 versus 400,000, nearly 400,000. So it's so obvious that having people on the same team, especially during this pandemic, is a winning solution, successful solution. 
No, you, you, you said very correctly. And when I was reading you in your book, and I want to quote from your book, it's very powerful. So you mentioned somewhere uh, the fearful protectionist actions mm-hmm. are not a viable long-term solution. Mm-hmm. That's very powerful, that one statement. Fearful. Mm-hmm. Because the protectionist yes. actions, when you go we versus them, or mm-hmm. it is I versus we, first put this mm-hmm. way, that is a protectionist yes. action. And most yes. of the times in human mind, the origin is fear. That you're fearful yes. of either your survival or your chances of winning. And mostly you sacrifice the win there. Because uh, you are now, uh, you're, you're fearing the failure. Mm-hmm. You're not playing to win anymore. Because mm-hmm. you're fearing the failures, you're taking protectionist actions, and anybody else which will work as a team will get it. And, and, and I'm again quoting from your book where you've written, our ability to thrive mm-hmm. in the 21st century will mm-hmm. depend on our ability to collaborate broadly. You cannot mm-hmm. survive a pure competition, even in business. Many a time there was a word, if you if you remember, I don't know whether Tom Peters used or somebody, one of the management gurus, cooperation, mm-hmm. like collaborate mm-hmm. and compete. It is not just compete. You know, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. both co- co- collaborate to succeed. Both can be successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, further from your book, the diverse nature of business in nearly every sector of our economy requires cooperation. That's mm-hmm. uh, very profound statement because if you look at it, which sector you think you can do without cooperation? Mm-hmm. You know, even if you look at products like Apple, yes. so if they did not cooperate with their suppliers, they would never mm-hmm. have a phone because they don't have manufacturing at all. You know, mm-hmm. they are not mm-hmm. competing with other manufacturers or their supply chain or anybody. They are cooperating, mm-hmm. developing together. Especially mm-hmm. with the information technology uh, at the stage where it is, uh, it is driving the same behavior. And, and mm-hmm. in, in your book, you have said our economy requires cooperation across differences of many kinds. Mm-hmm. Whether mm-hmm. we are fighting a pandemic, working towards racial justice, or building a diverse organizational team. And that, those are the key to success if you do it. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's it's good for productivity. It's good for business. And it's also the right thing to do. Um, I, I think there's been a tradition in the United States of not seeing differences, especially if those differences are related to um, what are called protected classes, right, with the um, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission considers protected classes. So things like age, race, religion, uh, uh, being um, your ability. And and so there has been a kind of fear of um, people in the majority to talk about these things. They, they don't, I mean, there are people who just don't want to talk about these things, who don't want to see difference, but it's really uh, a problem if you're not seeing the difference, because if you don't see the difference, there's no way to bridge a difference. Differences are predictable. They are inevitable because we grew up in different ways and we should see and respect them, try to understand them. We don't have to follow another person's cultural practices. 
but we do need to respect them and understand them. That's the mistake I see people making that they, especially people in the cultural majority in a particular place, when they don't do the work to try to understand uh, another culture. I guess people feel like if simply by learning about another culture that they are agreeing with it, I, I don't know. I don't know why people don't try a little harder um, because it's really not that hard to learn about other cultures. You're, you're so right, Laura. It's all about opening your mind. And again, mm-hmm. very powerful statement you made. It does not mean when you're learning that you're agreeing on it. You can okay. always agree to disagree, but mm-hmm. it is better to understand somebody else's perspective. Mm-hmm. It is better to give it a hearing and probably using your wisdom plus the wisdom of a different way of thinking may make you think and get you a better solution than what you have. I'm not saying your solution would be wrong, what you're doing. It could be mm-hmm. the solution, but it can improve the strength of that solution. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And it it's just too narrow to rely on your own narrow singular experience or the singular experience of your own cultural background is not adequate for our global 21st century marketplace. Yes, I'm, I'm 100% in with it. And, and I'll, I'll just share with you that I myself lived in all four continents. Mm. <laughs> lived in North America, lived in uh, lived in uh, Europe, lived in Asia, uh, lived in uh, uh, Middle East, and mm-hmm. I worked across the globe. And while living in different cultures and working there was very different than I was in uh, uh, living in a different continent and handling mm. it. It was mm-hmm. very different. My my way of looking at things changed. Let's say living in Houston and running a global business, if I went to Middle East, I looked at from that temporary prism, which I was carrying at that point of time. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. while I lived there, worked from that location, I could deeply understand why a few things are happening in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And understanding that, it did not only help me to make good and better decisions at that point of time, but when I moved away, I was much more informed. I knew the reason why somebody is behaving in a different way, which was yes. so, so so much of confidence building in your thought process. Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and I used to, out of these four continents in, in three, I've attended schools also. <laughs> now, let me tell you, even the learning processes are very different. Absolutely. And, and those are the cultural impacts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and many years ago, I made that role and which I share with a lot of people, and I would like to share with you and our audience also, that we all are facing at times the same problem in different countries. Mm-hmm. Now we have more than 190 countries in the world. For the same problem, mm-hmm. it's never always the same solution in every country. It is mm-hmm. different, and in some of the countries it would be same, but all of them work. So that means you Mm -hmm. cannot discount any one way of thinking. So it is very important to push to get to the we mindset which you have identified and and elaborated so well in your book. Oh, thank you so much. It's really great to hear that. Yes. And uh, Laura, what we'll do is we'll continue our discussion after a short break. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, and uh, we're having very interesting discussions with Laura Kritzka on uh, her latest book, The Business of We. Uh, Laura, very enjoyable. Learned a lot myself in the last segment, our second segment. We are now in the third segment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would like if you can share with us that in organizational settings or societal settings, how 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 one can find that you need to address this issue of you know us versus them or I versus we mm-hmm. any symptoms? What do you recommend? Well, leaders you know, are should be paying attention to their employee groups you know all the time to look for signals that there are problems. Um, in the book, I talk about things like when you hear people complaining a lot about a particular group or joking sometimes is an indicator, uh, gossiping. Um, there, there's a difference between real lighthearted joking and other joking that indicates that there is some real problem. So um, when a leader picks up on this, it's really important to see problems before they get to be, you know, complaints, especially if they're potentially HR complaints or legal complaints. This is where we building really can impact the bottom line. If you can build a we culture in a particular department or in the whole organization, you will see complaints going down. And because people are getting along better, they've built some trust up with one another, even though they have different backgrounds. So in the book, uh, I talk about uh, these signals and how leaders can, you know, foster different activities. Um, there's a difference between, you know, hosting a social gathering so that people can get to know each other. You know, organizations have been doing that for years. But there's a difference between doing that and doing it with a we mindset. Um, we building or we mindset is kind of code to people 
to encourage them to move beyond their usual relationships. Um, so if, if I'm helping an organization and we decide that they're going to host a we building um, seminar or a we building social hour. Um, it's clearly communicated that people are uh, expected to join with the attitude of getting to know people they haven't really developed relationships with before. And what I found, Mahesh, is that almost all people, if you provide them with that opportunity, you know, are willing to do that. You give them some exercises, um, and this can be done even in uh, our virtual situation. I've I've been doing a lot of my work online, and you know, in person, I would have people get into small groups and get to know each other. And instead of that, I'm doing uh, breakout sessions when we're on a virtual platform and I give people questions. Um, they're not really hard questions. They're just questions meant to help people get to know each other. And I, I always make it voluntary um, whether they want to answer that particular question or, you know, provide some other type of information. But when we provide these opportunities, the professionals that I interact with are happy to engage with others. So this is what I think is so powerful. The The work I'm asking people to do is not very difficult, but people don't do it because they're fearful um, they hesitate because maybe they don't want to say something that hurts someone's feelings or they certainly don't want to get into any human relations or legal trouble. And so they default to this silence or this very um, overly careful behavior. So when we provide opportunities, um, we, you know, we can't force people to interact, but we can certainly um, provide the opportunity and model the behavior. Ah, I get your point. So there, there, there are uh, some structural methods which can be used for uh, rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, let us, all of us are facing this issue that in rebuilding, um, it it is it it becomes a little bit easier when you have face-to-face encounters mm-hmm. for you know team building exercises and doing a lot of things. And now you and I know. Uh, as do our uh, audience, that that face-to-face and team-building exercises are tough. The only thing which is common in everybody's life is MS Teams, <laughs> you know, the team <laughs> meetings and all that. Or maybe a Zoom or a Skype and how do you connect with each other. So that probably mm-hmm. make a little bit difficult because you can't see the reactions on the other side, you know, when you're working with people. But still, mm-hmm. as, as, I'm amazed that you said you're already doing it. That means there's a method that you can do, even if you're doing online, you can do different exercises to do that. Yes, I've actually found that some things online are better. Let let me give you an example. Um, In one company I work with, I often am part of their onboarding process for new employees. And so we made this a virtual experience and I used a uh, platform called Mentimeter. It's an online, you know, you can use it for free, Mentimeter. And it's, uh, you can set up quizzes, questions, uh, contests. It can be used for fun, but it can also be used to ask for employee input. And 
when you set up this exercise on Mentimeter, then people around the world, as long as they have a phone, can also log on during the real-time session. So I use this, for example, um, with the, the onboarding client. I've used it with clients who were in uh, international locations. So let's say in, in the case of the onboarding, I ask the question um, of, you know, how does it feel to start a new job during a pandemic? And I was surprised by the answers. So the, the part that's better is that people entered real uh, answers that maybe they wouldn't have raised their hand and said because it was anonymous. They just entered the answer on their phone and it appeared on the screen so everyone can see it. All, you know, 30 or 40 participants could see the answers, but they were anonymous. So I felt like the virtual platform was actually providing a more authentic and valuable experience than we would have had had we been in person. So, you know, the pandemic is awful, um, but looking for ways to leverage uh, the technology and the virtual nature of our situation absolutely can contribute to building a we culture. That's amazing. That's a very good feedback that uh, even uh, work people working remotely on these kind of projects, they're feeling mm-hmm. comfortable. And if they're able to write, and that's a nice way, if it is anonymous, that means they're sharing what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and half the battle is won if we can know what's happening. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So actually what happened in that case is um, I had a second question built in, which was what could your company do to make you feel more connected and included? And that was a kind of another uh, open-ended question. So people could generate their own ideas and there were all kinds of ideas showing up on the screen real time. So the person representing the company who was, you know, participating was so impressed with these ideas. These were ideas that the company had not thought of. So at the after the session was over, she asked me for um, the ideas and, and with Mentimeter, you can gather those um, the data. So was something that I didn't expect, uh, she didn't expect, but it provided her with a game plan, a map for activities that her company could immediately take action on. And most of those were things that didn't cost any money. They were just, you know, things like let's have more casual um, gatherings um, and things like that, that the new employees really wanted. But until that question was asked virtually, uh, she didn't know. That's a very good point. Um, Laura, I want to touch uh, two more topics from your book. One was the home team advantage <laughs> and and the mm-hmm. skills uh, needed necessarily in the home team to build trusting relationships uh, with the people mm-hmm. uh, from different backgrounds uh, because the home team yeah. can be uh, a, a culturally dominant home team on the rest of the organization, especially in today's intensely, I call it intensely connected global business environment. In fact, mm-hmm. it is the iceberging. So let's start with mm-hmm. the, the home team. 
how, mm -hmm. how, how should they work on uh, acquiring or rather practicing those necessary skills for building those trusting relationships? So, first of all, you have to identify the home team. And every organization, every department, every community, you know, most countries have a home team. And that is the the group that is represented, that has the power, that makes the decisions, you know. So, if you look in the United States at corporate America, the characteristics uh, are pretty obvious, uh, people on the home team tend to be white, male, and middle-aged. And I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with middle-aged white men. I am married to one. Um, I've created two more future white men for the, <laughs> the, the, the world. Yeah. I'm not against white men at all. But it is a fact that there is a culturally dominant group, especially in corporate America. You could just say in America, but in a corporate America. So, for it, it's important to i to see if you identify with those characteristics there are people who maybe have difficulty understanding that if they share those characteristics that they might benefit from being on the home team when you're on a, any home team uh, there are advantages. That's the whole deal with being on the home team. You understand the landscape. People defer to you whether they should or not. There's just a, a kind of default. Um, this idea for the home team actually came to me because of working in Japan. In Japan, the home team is middle-aged uh, Japanese men. Um, so I did not identify with that home team. Um, I, I'd say I do identify with the home team in America as a middle-aged white person. So I think until the home team people get on board with taking action to narrow gaps, it's going to be really hard to achieve sustained change. Um, so I, I think that um, identifying who a home team is in a particular group uh, is a useful exercise and, and for people who do identify with that home team group to just recognize that there are inherent uh, advantages to that. Perfect. Well, Laura, thank you so much. Uh, we need to take uh, a short break and we will continue our discussion after this short break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at Voice America TRN or twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN.
This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. And uh, I have with me... Laura Kriskea, and uh, we are talking about her latest book. And uh, it is amazing discussion we had in the last three segments. Very intriguing. The power of we, I can put all of it into one, my sentence uh, to support it. Laura, having read your book also, that how powerful is we and how do you create it? So, Laura, if you please allow me, uh, we will continue the discussion on the last point in third segment. Uh, talking about the role of leadership, mm-hmm. creating it. Uh, you threw a lot of light in that subject and followed it up by iceberging, the concept, mm-hmm. like your concept. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I call it uh, the uh, rebuilding superpower, uh, which is to use cultural iceberging as a tool to see invisible cultural data. Um, the, the cultural iceberg was developed by Edward Hall. And, you know, the idea is that there are things you can see about people and cultures and stuff you cannot. So if we seek to understand invisible information, it's so much more likely that we can gain important understanding about the other person and culture. I think it's impossible to know another person or another culture just by looking at it. It's inadequate. And so taking steps to expose yourself, to learn, to study, to build relationships with people who are um part of the other culture or know way more than you do about the other culture is an essential part of we building. Excellent. And uh, suppose I'm a leader. Let's put it this way. Uh, how do I, how do I build the trust with the team to align them to work on this uh, we culture? Mm-hmm. Because basically what, what I read in your book is that then I should be working on creating shared experiences, shared mm-hmm. goals as a strategy for bringing, you know, that cross group relationship and connecting the organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there is a clear, obvious them uh, mm-hmm. that a leader can point out. An example would be uh, I worked with an American company that had an entity. They were starting something brand new in Hong Kong. So there's a clear example where a leader can say, you know, hey, everybody, you know, we have this new initiative in Hong Kong and none of us have ever been there or we've maybe traveled there and we don't really know that much about it. So if you engage in, in the three steps I talk about in my book, The second step is this self-evaluation. So a leader could ask everybody to um, evaluate themselves in relation to Hong Kong and then start taking steps as a group or individually to increase their knowledge about the culture in Hong Kong, how businesses run, people, etc. So leaders, if you're a leader, you can look for these obvious examples. Um, sometimes we just can provide opportunities more generally and talk about the importance of cooperating across differences and invite people to identify their own them cultural group. 
um, and give people a chance to measure themselves and to set commitments for action plans, to check in, you know, to have an ongoing conversation uh, about we building. I think that's something leaders in every organization uh, should be doing. Mm-hmm. And Laura, what do you think could be the pitfalls which <clears throat> one should avoid while building uh, uh, this mm-hmm. power of we? Yeah, a classic pitfall is getting excited about this, getting people together and then doing, you know, having some conversation, some action and then never talking about it again. Uh-huh. Um, as you and I know, mm-hmm. change does not happen quickly and easily. If you think about it in terms of like trying to uh, improve your health, you know, these are things that don't happen quickly. You can start eating better today or exercising, but it's only after ongoing commitments of small changes that will result in the kind of equitable, multicultural, we culture that I think many of us are seeking. Ah, okay. That, that's, very, that's very common uh, uh, pitfall. In, in, and it is, I would say some of the things which you're saying are, are very important because some could be visible. You can see in your organization. Mm-hmm. The most difficult mm-hmm. part is when you're, de- when you're dealing with, you know, a lot of cultures. Suppose mm-hmm. it's a global business, then mm-hmm. there could be some invisible mm-hmm. things happening around the cultural, uh, I won't call them issues, uh, the cultural behaviors, uh, yes. the differences which may get ignored and may start impacting the team building or the performance of an organization. Yes. On the surface of it may look a very little thing. Like I I see that example in the book which you're given uh, and somebody uh, is uh, supposed to be apologetic uh, and uh, not uh, looking in the eye and explaining the situation. Rather, I'm saying it wrong, not apologetic, explaining the situation. Mm -hmm. Not looking yeah. eyeball to eyeball was considered as, um, you know, hiding something. Whereas the person was mm-hmm. not. It was the cultural upbringing that for you never go eyeball to eyeball with your superior. Now, exactly. are, this is a very classic example which you gave in your book. And this mm-hmm. happens day in and day out. Yes. It happens when you're on, you know, you take an airplane to a different country, but it also happens in our own offices uh, around the world because the global marketplace is growing increasingly diverse. So it is not a luxury anymore. It is mission critical to pay attention to these differences, to see these differences, to recognize them as relevant and meaningful, and then do the work. Treat it as important data, just like you would treat sales data or marketing data when you're making your business decisions. Leaders and organizations need to treat cultural data as mission critical if they want to be successful in the 21st century. I think that's a very powerful point, the cultural data. In uh, in, in today's world, where uh, the business, a lot of it has gone online, quite a bit of it. And uh, even one example which comes to my mind is is the back office teams. I'm, I may be dealing a, a little bit mm-hmm. interested. I may think I'm calling an IT company in Seattle as the number shows in the location. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to solve the problem. And uh, 
basis, the problem I face, my state of mind could be very different. And yeah. suddenly when I call them, the call may be going somewhere in back office in Asia. And mm-hmm. the way the problem gets addressed or even heard uh, could be creating an emotional stress. And yes. I think, why you don't understand my problem? Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because so basically uh, what it means is the, the, the service provider as well as, as well as the person who's requesting a service mm-hmm. in, in, in such cases when the life has gone too much online has to be careful about respecting each other's cultural value mm-hmm. uh, to, to make a success out of it. Yes. Otherwise, that interaction will collapse. And to me, it looks like, especially on those backend services, mm-hmm. I, I found that it, it will be very difficult. The whole globe is so interconnected because all yes. those services are 24 seven. Even if mm-hmm. you're booking a ticket on an airline, it's not necessary that you're talking to somebody in the country where the airlines is located. Mm-hmm. Maybe somewhere else in their working hours. The, the, these are some cultural sensitivities there as well as choosing of words, the choice of words to mm-hmm. communicate a problem or communicate yes. a solution. It conveys mm-hmm. very differently. Yes. No, you're absolutely right. And this is an example of the interconnectedness of the global marketplace that we started our conversation on today. Yeah. So, Laura, uh, thank you so much. We are almost at the end of our program. I want to thank you. Uh, first of all, good luck with the book. Uh, thank you. I, I would say it's a very powerful book and everybody must read it because the subject itself is so powerful. Uh, the business of we and, and that power of we, which you have brought out in your book of the business mm-hmm. of we is, uh, is amazing. And what I liked about the book also that you've given a process, uh, which you mentioned as a three-step process for closing the gap between us and them in the workplace. And that probably is the key to success for most of the teams. So thank you so much uh, for a very interesting and intriguing discussions. And it has made me think a lot about many things which I be facing every day in my business. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Mahesh. It's been a, a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you. You've been listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We hope you'll tune in for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.